0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's word and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's word together. We are continuing week three of our series called Some Assembly Required. And uh, in this series, we've been just talking about relationships and the many different relationships that we have and that we're all built for Relationships. And I would encourage you, if you've missed any of this, to go back and check them out, uh, because in a way, they kind of all do build on each other. But um, the first week, we talked about how we were built for these relationships. We were built for community, that um, we're made to be a reflection of God, our creator. And so he created these relationships, and we are to walk in those. Week two, we talked about friendships and what it all meant to be friends. And um, this week, we're going to be talking about marriages. And the following week, we're going to be talking about parenting. And let me tell you, I told my wife uh, yesterday, I said, I can't wait to get to parenting because I feel like after this week with the kids all going back to school, There's a big adjustment with all of that self-included, and so I need some reminders and some, maybe a little bit of a pep talk from God's word about parenting, because I don't know about you all, but it's been a hard week this week. So, um, But uh, today we're going to be talking about marriage, and uh, I do want to start off this way by saying this. How many of you ladies, we'll get to the guys here in a second. We're going to be interactive, all right? How many of you ladies here today by a show of hands, you dreamed of your perfect wedding, that perfect marriage with your perfect husband who would carry you over the threshold of your perfect house, and you'd have those kids, you probably had them named, and, and you know your, your, your uh, husband would rub your back and would uh, love on you all the days of your life. How many of you women right here dreamed of that special day, right? Yep, that's right. Uh, now, how many of you guys, when you were little boys, dreamed about your perfect wedding your perfect marriage, the day that you would be married for all the days of your life. Like, how many of you guys? Yeah, there's a few of us, but overall, the majority of us, what did we think of? I, I mean, for me, I thought about blowing stuff up. Like, I thought about <laughs> shooting stuff. Like, I thought about, like, you know, being a star athlete, you know, like, I don't know. I guess if I thought of marriage, maybe sometimes it was like what married people get to do. Like that's just like, those are the things that I got to think about. And I'm just being honest here. Don't judge me. You all thought of it too. Okay. But, (laughs) but there's a lot of expectations and dreams about what marriage is and what it's going to be like someday. And when our marriages don't meet our expectations, there could be letdowns, disappointment, hurt, pain, anger. In fact, some of you right now might even be wondering, is it possible to have a great marriage? And I believe that it is possible. Like we said, week one, Jesus came not to condemn us in our relationships. Jesus came to bring life. He came to bring good news, not only to us spiritually, but he also came to bring good news to us in our relationships. And I believe today he's going to bring good news to us in our marriages. But the reality is that some assembly will be required. So I believe it's possible to have a great marriage, but I really want to be honest with you today and say it's not going to be possible to have a great marriage if you do what everybody else in our society does. Because if you look at the statistics of marriage, they are absolutely horrifying. The statistics say that 50% of marriages will end. They will not make it. And so when we hear that, the odds are really stacked against us. I mean, think about every area of your life. Would you be satisfied with 50% odds stacked against you? Chances are you wouldn't be. If I told you today that that favorite brand of chips that you like to eat every day at lunch would cause cancer or give you cancer, you'd probably stop eating those chips. You'd probably switch brands, right? You'd probably even stop eating chips altogether. Like you would make some changes in your life. If I told you that the money you were investing or the money that was in the bank had a 50% chance of just going away, many of us, what would we do? We would make some changes. We would get the money out of there. If I told you that there was a 50% chance that tomorrow when you leave your house, you would be attacked by a man-eating cat with thumbs, you probably would think of a different strategy. You probably wouldn't even leave your house that day. So if we're not satisfied with 50% odds stacked against us in those ways, then why are we satisfied with it when it comes to our marriages? Why are we okay with the 50% survival rate? And like we've been saying, so I believe that it is possible to have a great marriage, but we've got to come to God's word. We've got to get some wisdom. We've got to look and see what he has to say. And we've been saying this all this, this entire series. Since God created everything in this world, he knows how best things should work, even our marriages. So the title of today's message is Increasing the Odds. I believe we can have some wisdom and increase the odds of our marriages. But marriage is hard for a lot of reasons. Besides personality differences and personal conflict, marriage is hard because you have an enemy. Your enemy hates you and he hates your marriage. If you're married here today, the thing that they didn't tell you when you went through marriage counseling is that when you walk down that aisle, you are walking straight into the enemy's crosshairs. The enemy wants to do everything he can to bring down your marriage. Why? Because marriage is not some man-made idea. Marriage is God's idea. God designed marriage to reflect his nature and his love for us. I mean, think about it. God was the community. We talked about that in Genesis. God wanted us, he wanted us to reflect his community and the things that he enjoyed. He had love. That's why even when Jesus, we said this uh, last, a couple weeks ago, when Jesus was dying and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because community was being broken. There was a love that was being broken there. Marriage is designed to reflect God here on earth. But Satan, our enemy, wants to do everything he possibly can to destroy that image, to break that image, to distort that image. That's why when you look at Genesis chapter 3, the first thing that Satan attacks is Adam and Eve's marriage. And he's still doing that today. Now, I'm not going to say that Satan is the cause of every single marital issue that you have but I am going to say he's not helping in that area either. Marriage is God's idea, and it's meant to reflect him. And as you read all throughout your Bible, what you're going to see is marriage all throughout it. And the Bible begins with marriage, but it also ends with marriage as well. And here's what I mean. We see God creating the whole world, and he looks at everything, and he's like, that's good, and that's good. But the first time he says something isn't good is when he looks at Adam, because Adam was alone. So God did something about it. Genesis chapter two, verse 21, it says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed. See, what we're reading is this, Adam's celebration and relief Because up until that moment, he was absolutely lonely. Now, he had animals all around him. And I'm sure that that was a comfort. I'm sure that was a relief. I'm sure that was kind of cool at times. But he could not emotionally connect with an animal. And then all of a sudden, someone is standing right in front of him that's so amazing, so beautiful. He's like, she's like me, but she's different than me. And then what does he do? He writes the first love song in all of human history. He goes, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. wasn't super powerful, you know, it wasn't like, but it was his first try, right? So you got to give him a little bit of a break. And then he says this at the end of verse 24, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So the Bible begins with marriage, but then fast forward all the way to the end, it also ends with marriage. You have John on the island of Patmos, and uh, Jesus is revealing to him the new heaven and the new earth. And in Revelation 19, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. I want you to notice right over there the word Lamb, it's capitalized because it's referring to Jesus. And then as you look at the word uh, bride, that is referring to us, his church. But in the time between the first marriage and the last, we are to prepare ourselves for Jesus's return. And one of the ways that we prepare ourselves, it's not the only way or the ultimate way that we prepare ourselves. But one of the ways that God prepares us for this day is through marriage. In marriage, we're being refined, we're being molded, we're being shaped into the image and likeness of Jesus, where we are forgiving one another, submitting to one another, and loving one another just like Jesus does. So the Bible begins with marriage, and it ends with marriage, and right in the middle of all of it, you come to Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, and we get this unfiltered view, this picture of this marriage relationship. Now, Song of Solomon is a collection of love songs written by a married couple who are expressing all of their good times and bad times, their ups and downs. And there's so much we can learn from this book regardless of your current marital status. Now, the reason why I say that we can learn a lot regardless of your current marital status is because this isn't just a romance novel. Song of Solomon is a book of wisdom. In fact, it's one of the four books of wisdom. You have Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Psalms. Those are all books of wisdom when it comes to our lives and how we can live our lives. And Song of Solomon is one of those. It's a book of wisdom about our romantic relationships. And by the way, I think we could use a lot more wisdom when it comes to these areas of dating, romance, and marriage. Because for a lot of us, where do we get our views from? From Hollywood, romance novels, rom-coms, right? Now, Jen and I, we do like romance comedies. I'm not saying those things are bad. I mean, how many of you, How, how to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Like, that's one of my favorites. That's Jen's, you know? I love that movie. Maybe um, Pearl Harbor. Is that? That's another classic, you know? Like, like I, I like those, see, because I'm dating myself, too, a little bit with some of those. But those are the best ones. But, um, you know, like, we love the notebook. There it is, right there. How many of you right there, you're like, oh, I'm going to start keeping a diary right now, you know? Like, <laughs> But we like those things, but we can't go to those things for our wisdom. That's not realistic. We need to get wisdom from God's word. We need to, from time to time, come back and see what God's word has to say about this very important subject. So there's three things I want to teach you from the book of Song of Solomon and those three chapters that I think, if we apply, can help increase our odds and make our marriages uh, beat those statistics, Because here's the thing, your marriage may start off great. The reality is, it's not always going to stay there. And that's true for Mr. and Mrs. Solomon. So the first thing we can learn is this. Flirting is fun, but it doesn't last. Flirting is fun, but it doesn't last. Look at what it says, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Mrs. Solomon says this. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. New Living Translation says, kiss me and kiss me again. A little more poetic. For your love is better than wine. And as you continue to read through there, you're going to read this romantic conversation between the two of them. And, and in a way, it kind of makes you blush a little bit as you kind of read through there. And, and, and it kind of makes you go, wow, this is, getting, this is some good talk between the two of them. But I really want to just draw your attention to verses 15 and 16. Because then he comes back and he says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And she says, behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. This is just constant talk going back and forth. And then in chapter two, he says again, he's like, as lilies among brambles or thistles, so is my love among the young women. Young women. And then she comes back and she says, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house. His banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. This is just a great time in the Solomon's life. This is the budding relationship, the very beginning of their romance. It's the whispering the sweet nothings. It's the flirting talk. It's the hot and heavy conversation going on between the two of them. And, and if you're married here today, I would recommend you keep this in your marriage. You keep that flirting, hot and heavy talk alive as much as you can. Be intentional about it. In fact, for Jen and I, that's something I think I'm pretty good at. You know, like I... I think I'm pretty good at that hot and heavy talk, keeping it alive a little bit, you know? If just a couple of weeks ago we were going to go on a trip and she was like, I think I got to get the oil changed and I got to get the tires rotated and I looked at her and I was like, I'd like to rotate your tires. <laughs> she told me a couple days ago, she said, I got to unload the dishwasher. I was like, I'd like to unload your dishwasher. She's like, what does that mean? I was like, I don't know. I'm just trying here. Trying to keep the talk alive, trying to make it hot and heavy, you know? I don't think she's caught off guard. <laughs> I'm just being real. I'm a human being too, okay? But, I, but I, I try. I don't know that she's caught off guard. In fact, sometimes I think you just got to wear them down. In fact, she's, she came right back at me with something, so I'm like, it's working. So, guys, take note, okay? Wear them down. That's your personal note there. <laughs> But flirting is fun, right? It can be fun. It's a, it's, I recommend that you keep it going. However, it is not realistic. It's not realistic for that to always be in your relationship, for you to stay at that steamy, hot and heavy level year after year. Why? Because we go through changes. Circumstances change. Bodies change. Looks change. Feelings change. Friends change. Kids will change. Everything, right? Man. There could be a lot of things that happen in life that can make it very challenging to remain, to stay at that hot and heavy level year after year after year, even for the most like-minded couples. In fact, I love what one pastor says. His name is Tim Keller. He says, marriage is the most vulnerable relationship there is. You get exposed for who you really are. Now, being exposed can be a good thing or a bad thing. Think back to when you were dating all those years ago. What did you do? You put the best possible version of yourself out there, right? It was like one long job interview. That's what you were doing. But then in marriage, it's impossible to hide, pretend, cover up your flaws, weaknesses, imperfections from your spouse for very long. Eventually, what happens? The mask comes off. And here's the thing, it's not necessarily bad news that the mask will come off. Flirting is fun. Keep it alive. Do the best you can to keep that going in your marriage relationship. But understand, it will not sustain you. What will keep your marriage going year after year is if you keep God as your one and your spouse as your two. And I know that that's very countercultural, right? Because what does our culture say? you got to find the one you got to find the one you got to find the one you got to make sure you find the one and and there's a whole lot i could say about that but if we buy into that myth that we got to find the one then what we end up doing is when we get married we expect our spouse to fulfill every desire every need everything in our lives and that is just not possible we are setting them up for failure God is the one who can fulfill every need, every desire. We need to obey him. We need to be following him. You and your spouse need to make God your one and your spouse your two. And out of the overflow of that, then you are being, uh, you're, you're grounding your marriage on God's word in prayer, serving together, coming to church together. You are giving your marriage a foundation that will last. Flirting is fun, but it will not last Forever. Jesus even said this in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, tell him, hey, which part of the law is the most important? Jesus is answering this. And then he said, this is the great and first commandment. Second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we boil down what Jesus is saying is, keep God your one and others your two. For our purposes, I think we could translate this. Keep God your one and love your spouse like you love yourself. Keep your spouse your number two. And what ends up happening is the mask come off for Mr. and Mrs. Solomon. By the time we get to chapter five, all the sweet nothings have disappeared. It's obvious that there's some conflict. Uh, he's moved out of the house and now he's in the dog house. And here's our sega thought for today. You have an enemy and it's not your spouse. You have an enemy and it's not your spouse. Look at verse two. What does Mrs. Solomon say? She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved, is knocking. See, what's happening here is that Mrs. Solomon, she's in bed and she can't sleep. She's kind of tossing and turning the whole night. And, And when it says her heart is awake, it means that she's filled with emotions. Now, when I read this this week, I was kind of thinking, okay, so they've gotten into an argument, and, and my mind was going, okay, how did they get into that argument? Maybe they got into that argument because, you know, she might have snapped at him, or you know, maybe he said a yo mama joke, you know, and that's not a good thing, and you know, maybe she stormed out, he slammed the door. Maybe they're working too much, and they just haven't had a chance to come together and connect. Maybe their communication wasn't all that great whatever the specific issue is, whatever conflict came into their life, we're seeing and we're reading here in chapter 5 that there is tension in their relationship. And in the middle of the night, here comes Mr. Solomon knocking on the door. And look at what he says, continuing in verse 2. He says, open to me, my sister. And, and pause right there because don't think, is this some like deep south incest? Like, is that what, is that, what that means? No. It's not somebody from Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee can tell you like, I don't care, name whatever deep south, southern state you want to say. That's not what he's saying. That word sister speaks of permanence. He's talking about a permanent relationship. He says, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. Mr. Solomon is approaching Mrs. Solomon early in the morning. His hair is wet because he's been outside all night. He knocks on the door and he's trying to apologize for what went wrong. But she's not ready, for the, ready to receive the apology yet. Because then look at what she says in verse 3. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? Basically, she's like, man, I'm all ready for bed. I'm nestled in here with the covers up. Like, you know, I'm in my PJs. I'm not going to put on a robe. I'm not going to get my feet dirty to let you in. She is not happy with him and she wants him to know it. It's way different than what we were just reading, right? In chapters one and two, like that is a big contrast between the two of them. And I think that it's important to be reminded that in every relationship, every couple, even the healthy relationships, conflict is inevitable the reality is all couples will fight. Why? Because we are all sinners. And because we're all sinners, we do sinful things. See, when you put two flawed, sinful, imperfect people together, they're eventually going to hurt each other. They're going to have a disagreement. All couples will fight. Some of you, your parents never fought in front of you. And so you don't really have a great idea. And so when the first fight comes along, you're like, oh no, we must be doing something wrong. No, all couples fight. But here's what you need to know. Healthy couples fight fair. Unhealthy couples fight dirty. Below the belt, jabs, undercuts, accusations. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for victory. Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools have no interest. In understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Basically, it's just like a fool only doesn't really want to hear what you have to say, won't listen to what you have to say, only wants to get out what they have to say and what they're thinking. And isn't that what we do in fights as well? We're not trying to understand the other person. We just want to be heard. We just want to make our point. We just want to win. And the Bible says we are foolish when we do that. We are not fighting fair. So how do you fight fair? Well, the first way you fight fair is you fight to understand. you got to fight to understand. See, in an argument, you should repeat back to your spouse what your spouse just said. And what that does is that focuses you, that helps you listen. And it validates what he or she has just said and has actually been heard. So if they say, this is what you do to me. You go, okay, I understand. That's, I do this to you. And when you repeat back to your spouse what they're saying, it keeps the issue at hand instead of escalating and you start fighting about how you're fighting instead of fighting about the issue and trying to bring resolve. So repeat it back. But the second way you fight fair is you fight for forgiveness. Ephesians 4:32. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. This brings unity in our marriage. It gives us strength to fight our real common enemy. But here's the thing. I want to make something abundantly clear, absolutely clear right now. What I'm talking about, these principles here, these are to be applied in your normal day-to-day imperfections, flaws, simple mistakes. I'm not talking about dysfunction or abuse, uh, verbal or physical. I know that some of you, that's your story. In your marriage relationship, you've been abused verbally or physically, and it breaks my heart every single time I hear that. Because that's not the way that God designed marriage. That's not the way that it's supposed to look. It's not the way that it's supposed to function. And if you're here today, And that is your story. You're going through that. Please come find me. Find one of the other pastors, our leadership team. Maybe you serve on a team or you're in a group. Talk to one of those leaders because we want to walk with you through this. Our goal as leaders here in the church, as pastors, we want to see marriages healthy. We want to see marriages functioning to the best way that they can because they're a reflection of God's glory. They're a reflection of God here on earth. But it takes you being vulnerable and talking and needing help. And don't feel ashamed about it either. Don't feel ashamed if you've got to ask for some help. That's what we're here for. We want to see you in a healthy, functioning marriage. But in our normal day-to-day, imperfections, flaws, simple mistakes, we've got to guard our words. And we've got to live out what Proverbs 12 says. It says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. We need to bring healing to our marriage relationships. We need to fight fair. You have an enemy, and it's not your spouse. then we come back to Mr. and Mrs. Solomon, and now she's getting her friends involved, which, by the way, is not a good thing to do, but thankfully her friends give her wise counsel. And here's our last idea today. Friendship needs to be the foundation of your marriage. Friendship needs to be the foundation of your marriage. Look at what it says in verse 10. Mrs. Solomon says, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are like lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked or or decorated with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. See, what she's realizing here is that they've been in conflict. There's some tension, they're fighting, but they're working their way through it. And she lands on this very simple truth. He is my friend. Now, guys, let's just be honest here for a minute. Because for a lot of us, the word friends is like kryptonite to us, right? Like, follow me for this. Like, like maybe you've been um, friends with this girl for a long time and you know, you've been hanging out and you're like, I want to pursue a more romantic relationship, right? And so maybe you see her at school and you've been working on that or at work or better yet, even here at church. And you're like, I want to pursue that relationship. I want to grow in that. And so you're like, I want to pursue a romantic relationship. And so you just lay it all out there on the line and You say, I would like to, to have a more of a romantic relationship. I'd like to take you on a date. And then what does her words write back to you? I like you as a friend, right? Like those are like kryptonite. It's like I've been banished to the friend zone right there. <laughs> I've known Jen since the eighth grade. I remember the class I saw her in, I remember what she was wearing. It was like the Holy Spirit just shed a light right onto her, all right? I remember everything. In about 10th grade, a rumor came out that I liked Jen. And then it came back to me that she only likes me as a friend and I was like, "Oh, it's like Kryptonite, like, you know?" I was like, "I've got enough friends, I don't need another friend. Like, we're not going to be friends." <laughs> now, I know, it's mostly guys, but you ladies also. You understand that feeling? You've laid it on the line. But as people, this is how we think of it. We're either friends or we're romantic and never the two shall meet. And this is really unfortunate. Because some of us, we've brought that into our marriage. Friendship is critical to the foundation of your marriage and the ongoing nature of your marriage. We've all heard this said before, but when people get married, they tie the knot. The knot, the definition of a knot is fastening, made by interweaving materials designed to bear a load. So when you tie a knot, it's designed to bear a load. How many of you today you tied a knot? Like I tied a knot today, I tied my shoes. But think about this. Let's say you're moving from one house to another house here in Clarksville. And you load up all your stuff on a trailer, you tie it all down and you start driving. And as you're driving, let's say you hit a couple potholes, maybe some bumps along the road and you look in your rearview mirror and stuff's just flying out the back of it. Do you look at all your stuff and go, "Well, I tied it once, it'll hold." No, you pull over, you pick up your stuff, you retie the knot, you reinforce that knot. Many of us, when we got married, when we tied the knot, we thought the knot would hold. Anybody can tie the knot. Anybody can fall in love. All it takes to fall in love is some chemicals, hormones, and according to Montgomery County, $55, and you can have a marriage certificate. It's crazy to me. You have to take a test to drive, but to be married, ah, just give me 55 bucks. We're good to go, you know? <laughs> but to stay in love, it requires decision and a commitment. Ecclesiastes 4 says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And for some of us here today, we thought the knot would hold, but there's been some challenges, some changes, some things that happen in our life, and somewhere along the way, the knot came loose. Over the years, I've had people come into my office and ask for biblical uh, guidance. That's what we do here at Awaken. I'm not a licensed uh, counselor, but one thing that we do is I could tell you what the Bible says and, and how to live your life, and I can show you that stuff and and teach you some principles. But I've had people come into my office looking for biblical guidance when it comes to their marriage. And they'll say, man, I've been to counselors. I've been in and out of pastor's offices. I've read all the books there can be on marriage. And then they'll look up at me and they'll say, marriage shouldn't be this hard. And I want to look back at them with all love and sincerity and tell them, who told you that it would be this easy? It's going to be hard. Even for the most compatible people, it's going to be hard. Why? Because we're all sinful, flawed, broken, imperfect human beings. So it's going to be a struggle. Anything in life that's worthwhile is going to require some effort. It's going to take a lot of hard work. Tying the knot is one thing, but you got to come back and retie that knot over and over and over again. See, one of the ways that you can retie the knot in your marriage is during a non-conflict season. So when things are, the waters are calm, you guys aren't fighting, everything is good, in a non-conflict time, give your marriage a marital checkup. Give it a marital checkup. If you have kids, wait till the kids go to bed, send them off, and for an hour or two, just come to your spouse. And in an honest, safe, loving context, say what are three things that I do well in this marriage that bless you or are good? And don't sit there and go, well, you're good at fighting. Like that's not, you know, don't just be like all mad about everything. Like be honest. There are things that your spouse does that bless you, that help you. Talk about those three things. And then while you do that, there's positive momentum going. And in that safe, loving context, bring up this question. What's one thing I could do better in this marriage relationship. Be honest. Don't make it go into a fight. And then say, well, when you do this or when you do that, it makes me feel this way. Repeat back. Okay, I understand. When I do this or when I do that, it can make you feel that way, and I want to work on that. See, the key to keeping the knot tight in your marriage is friendship. But many times our marriages will get into trouble because we've neglected the friendship for too long. See, many of us, when we were dating, we were great friends. Guys, we're notorious for this. We knew our lady's favorite drink at Starbucks, favorite flower, favorite color, favorite music. Why do we know all that? Because we're trying to woo her. But then we had great interest and then we got married and then we kind of stopped pursuing her. Ladies, when you were dating your man, you often spoke encouragement to him. When you were dating, you would admire him. You'll love on him. You'll tell him things that would make him feel like he could take on the world. But somewhere along the way, something might have distracted you, and you've stopped saying those things. Our marriages will get into trouble because we have neglected the friendship. One of the things that will restore sick marriages back to health is just a couple beginning to work on their friendship again. So when was the last time you looked at your spouse and he said, would you be my friend? Might sound kind of corny, kind of cheesy, maybe even a little like Mr. Rogers. But maybe for a lot of us, that's where we need to begin. Especially if you feel like things have begin to break apart or crumble. So let's go back to the question that we started with today. Is it possible to have a great marriage? I believe that it's possible. Some assembly will be required. It means that we've got to build our relationship more than just flirting. Flirting is fun. Keep it going. But you've got to build your marriage on something, a more sustainable, a better foundation than just flirting. You've got to build it on God's word. You've got to make sure that you have an enemy and he wants to destroy your relationship. He wants to destroy that marriage. You have a common enemy. So your spouse isn't it. So, com- so fight against your common enemy, not fight with each other all the time. And you got to keep working on that friendship. you got to keep going back and retying that knot over and over again. John 15. Jesus is giving us insight on how we can grow spiritually. And he's like, it's not about what you do. It's not about what you achieve. It has everything to do with remaining connected to me. And, of course, the passage is, he's the vine, I'm the branches, you know. So it's about remaining connected to Jesus. And over and over and over again, if you read John chapter 15 later, it says, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. And then halfway down, he switches and he's like, remain in my love. And then John 15 verse 12 says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friend's. If you do what I command, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the father told me. This is God in flesh using friendship to describe how we are to remain in him. And I want you to see how this works. You cultivate your faith by strengthening your friendship with God. You want to grow in faith? Grow in your friendship towards God. You want to grow in your marriage? Cultivate your marriage by strengthening your friendship to your spouse. And maybe you're here today and you and your spouse have never been closer, more in love than you ever have been before. We want to praise God with you as you're in that season. I love hearing and learning even how Marriages have gone on for 40 years, 50 years. Like, we want to praise God for that. We want to learn from that. But maybe you're here today and it's like you're locking horns with your spouse. You're arguing and fighting. Maybe chapter 5, where the Solomons were at, is where you're living at today. Maybe this is the struggle and you feel pulled apart. Maybe you and your spouse just need to go home and start applying some of these principles. Maybe you and your spouse just need to go and cry out to God, pray to God, ask God to come, be that third person in your marriage, that you would build your marriage on something firm and solid. A godly marriage is possible through the help of the Holy Spirit. God is very invested in the success of your marriage because it is a picture of the gospel. And your marriage can preach the gospel to the world, to the eyes of the world. Marriage is tough. It's hard work, but it's so worth it. We got to make sure that we're grounded to God's word so we can increase the odds in making our marriages a reflection of God here on earth. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.